Hello again, thanks for choosing to level up your poker game with us today. I'm Mike Brady, and I'm joined by the one and only poker pro Gary Blackwood. What's up, guys and girls? Thank you very much for tuning in. We're going to talk today about ace-high boards, looking at single-raise pots, when to bet big, when to bet small, and when to bet in between. Yeah, ace-high flops are the most common type of flop in the game, but they certainly aren't the easiest to play correctly. Many poker players employ an oversimplified strategy, lumping all or most ace-high boards into sort of one basket and playing them all the same way. I often see people bet with roughly the same range for roughly the same size on every ace-high board, but that is far from the best way to approach them. Instead, you must consider the subtle factors that separate one ace-high board from the next and how those factors should impact your overall strategy. To keep the scope of this topic manageable, we're going to hone in on playing ace-high flops in single-raised pots specifically. No three-bet pots today, maybe another. We're talking cash games with no antes and 100 big blind stacks, unless we otherwise say so. So let's kick it off by jumping straight into some examples. Suppose you raise on the button and the big blind calls. What's an ace-high flop that would make you want to bet big, and how would you build your betting range on such a flop? So this is a really nice topic for us to start with, and if you guys watched the previous episode, it's something that we discussed then, but really awesome for us to go over again, always looking for refreshers because the game is so complicated, you know, you watch a podcast and a couple of weeks later, something might fall out of your head. Really nice to get that refresher. So you want to use a larger bet size on the ace high boards that you hold a nut advantage on. The solver loves to bomb the flop to allow it to play for stacks by the river. Of course, we spoke about this last week. If you bet one third, you can't bet the turn and shove the river. The pot is just too small. But if you go big here, you know, 75% pot size bet, overbet, then you allow yourself to overbet the turn and comfortably go all in on the river. So what boards do we have a nut advantage on? The big blind is going to three bet, you know, ace-jack, ace-queen, ace-king, even some ace-10 combos. So a board like ace-jack four, ace-queen five, ace-king eight. They're so good for us that we want to use the big bet sizes and press our nut advantage when we do bet. Remember, though, that we lose the significant nut advantage on ace-queen-queen because the big blind has got queen-deuce suited, queen-nine offsuit, queen-ten offsuit, etc. And also ace-queen-10 because the big blind has a reasonable number of combos of king-jack. So when the board is paired or there's a flop straight possible or it's monotone, we no longer press our nut advantage because we no longer have that nut advantage and we don't use the very big bets. Really important to remember that intricate detail. Yeah, so you talked about there something we talked about last week in our When to Bet Big podcast. The big blind is going to be three betting, you know, ace-jack, ace-queen, ace-king. And that's why those boards where those hands make top two pair are particularly good for us, because we're the only player that can have those. And we're also the only player who can have the high sets with pocket aces and, you know, say pocket jacks on an ace-jack five board. But how much does it change when you raise from an earlier position and thus your opponent in the big blind is not going to be three betting as many of those high ace-x hands? You know, they're always going to be three betting ace-king, presumably for the most part. They're probably always going to be three betting ace-queen suited. But I think if you raise from an early enough position, your opponent, especially in practice, is going to start just calling with a lot of ace-queen offsuit, ace-jack suited, ace-jack offsuit, ace-10. So how much does this change when you raise from earlier position, and now maybe those two pairs are in their range, but they probably still don't have the sets? So it's pretty cool to see. A lot of solvers will give you kind of like a reports tab or a, or a function. And you'll very, very clearly see um, if you open under the gun or MP, for example, ace-king and ace-queen, solver is bombing using the overbet very, very clearly. But Mike, you're absolutely right. You know, a board like ace-jack-x, ace-10-x, the solver is no longer absolutely bombing it for 133% pot. 
you'll see some smaller bet sizes. And when I say smaller bet sizes, I don't mean one third or 50%. The solver will kind of start to mix between the over bet and the 75%, a little bit of pot in there as well. And that gives us a fantastic insight into the solver's thought process, if you like. It's only when you have a significant nut advantage, for example, ace-king-x, MP versus big blind, ace-jack-x, button versus big blind, but MP under the gun, those ace-jack-x, ace-10-x, we still like to use a larger bet size. And the way that I approach that spot is that I'll use 133% when I have a significant nut advantage, i.e. ace-king-x, ace-queen-x, or ace-jack-x on the button. But when I have a reasonable nut advantage and it's not incredible i'll use a 75 percent bet size so i'll use 133 percent mp versus big blind on ace king x but ace jack x ace 10 x for example i'll use 75 percent yeah that makes a lot of sense so it's still kind of a big bet size you know 75 percent mm-hmm. pot is a somewhat big bet but you're not absolutely shoveling money into the pot like you do exactly. on the ace king x and you're betting like 133 percent or whatever which by the way if you haven't listened to that when to bet big podcast and you're listening to this one Definitely go back and listen to that one after because we go really in-depth on sort of how those bet sizes work. So we kind of glossed over the range construction part of that. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. So we'll go back to button versus big blind and say we're using, you know, the very big bet size. Ace, king, four. How are you going to be building your betting range on the flop? So again, if we refer back to a podcast that we did previously, we use a large bet size so our frequency comes down a little bit. So we're not betting our entire range. The most important thing to remember is that you know you want to protect your checking range because you, you're not going to bet queens or jacks or you know king four, and there's going to be a lot of air in your range. You protect your checking range with your weakest top pair. So an ace, king, four, ace, queen is going to bet very, very often ace deuce is going to bet very very infrequently now if that changed you know if we were just betting our entire range then obviously they would they would both bet but in a scenario where you're not betting your entire range and you know we're probably only betting here around about 50 to 60 percent of the time we protect our check back range with those weakest top pairs our weakest second pairs we'll use a hand like pocket fives as a bet on ace king four but not pocket queens because pocket fives needs a ton more protection than pocket queens for example this is a very cool example say that you open the button the big blind defends and the flop is ace king four a hand like jack eight offsuit has got reasonable equity versus your pocket fives but it's never gonna call a bet so you want to deny that equity that you know 25 to 30 percent equity that hand like jack eight offsuit 10 nine suited all those types of hands you get to deny that equity and stop your opponent from turning a pair so it's kind of like a ladder effect your pocket queens will very rarely bet your jacks will bet a tiny bit more, your tens a bit more, and so on and so forth, until you get to your lowest pocket pairs that like to bet for for protection purposes. As well as that, you know, our frequency is somewhat middling here, you know, 50 to 60%, if I had to estimate. You tend to favor your equity draws. For example, on King 8, 3, Club Diamond Spades, you're betting one third, you can bet like Queen Deuce of Hearts because you're betting really wide for a small size. But on ace, king, four, you're going to have a hand like if you've opened five, three, for example, or queen, jack, or queen, ten, or jack, ten, or maybe a hand like queen, deuce, that's got, you know, a backdoor flush draw and two backdoor straight draws as well. So it's really easy to construct your range. You've just got to be somewhat mindful of the fact that you're not betting extremely wide. You've got to be a little more selective with those bluffs. Yeah, and those low pocket pairs also sort of function not only as protection bets but also as like two out semi bluffs right like maybe you know they they flopped you know a good ace they have ace jack they defended the big blind decided not to three bet and they flopped Mm -hmm. top pair if you have pocket fives on ace king four and you bang off a five you're now gonna win a lot of money from from ace jack 
you know, there's that upside as well, where, you know, it's not a lot of outs, but it is kind of nice, you know, it's a dream spot when you bang off that turn set or rivered set and get a bunch of money in with a very, very disguised hand. One quick correction early on, I don't know if someone noticed it. You said King four checking back and we were talking about ace King four. That was unintentional. I'm sure you meant to say like King five. Same thing goes. I just don't want people to think we're checking back bottom two pair. We don't check back the bottom two pair. Don't worry, guys. That would be that would yeah. that would require some more explanation. We wouldn't have glossed over it. Trust me. All right. So yeah. that's kind of the big bet sizing spots on the ace high boards. But let's do the same example and talk about some middling sizes. So once again, you raise on the button, the big blind calls, flop comes ace high. What are the specific ace-high boards where you're going to go for more of a middling size? And what is that middling size? And then what's your betting range going to look like? So you kind of don't need to use a middling 50%-ish size if you don't want to. You can keep your strategy really nice and simple and use, you know, 33, 75, maybe an overbet if you're confident enough to use it. But there are some spots where it can be nice to have that middling 50% bet size. And it's only really when the other two cards are middling and connected. So I would have 50% on, you know, ace, seven, six ace six five ace eight seven maybe ace eight six and the reason for this is that generally the more connected the boards the more resistance you're going to face when you see that i.e your opponent's going to have more hands that can call your c-bet or raise your c-bet and therefore it's going to be less successful and therefore you see that a little bit less and therefore your sizing scheme must reflect that's a very cool domino effect that you, you can see there Obviously, on a board like Ace-8-7 or Ace-8-6, the big blind's going to have more gut shots, more straight draws. So you kind of have to just bet at a lower frequency. And as a result, your sizing will go up to 50%. Again, just to reiterate that point, what we've just spoken about is not going to suddenly magically double your win rate overnight. But it is a, a nice insight as to why you might want to use a middling bet size of 50%. And you know, more importantly, the, the, the reason as to why behind it. In terms of the range that wants to bet, your range is dictated by the global frequency and the global frequency which we speak about all the time on this podcast is how often your range is going to want to check or bet or do xyz in this instance your global frequency is going to be around about 55 to 60 percent we'll say you've got three or four different types of hands that are going to want to check at a medium frequency first of all your your weakest top pairs you know you always protect your checking range with your weakest top pairs You've then got your immediate under pairs to the highest cards so pocket kings are going to bet a whole lot less than a, a hand like pocket nines for example just for protection purposes you've then got your complete air balls so on ace eight seven you know club diamond spade you're gonna have a hand like queen deuce of hearts which is not going to it's going to bet sometimes but nowhere near as much as a hand like 10 nine for example and then you've got your uh, your you know your marginal showdown hand so on a board like ace eight seven you're gonna have a hand like seven six or you know pocket kings which is technically a marginal showdown hand king queen that's a marginal showdown hand there are a bunch of different hands that are marginal showdown they don't really want to bet uh they're kind of content to just check it down in a way so that's kind of how you construct your range when you're not betting your entire range and you're betting a middling slash reasonable amount those are the three or four types of hands that you kind of protect your checking range with yeah that makes a lot of sense like you said not mandatory to implement this and it's not so many boards you know the a seven sixes of the world ace ten nine maybe like stuff like that where you know it's kind of connected like that but if you do want to keep it simple and kind of just go big on the boards we were talking about earlier and small on the boards we're about to talk about, that's fine. But, you know, I know Gary uses that middling size on the boards he just talked about. I tend to use it as well. So, uh, you know, feel free to implement that. It's, it's not going to be a huge EV difference. Kind of choose what, what feels more right to you and maybe even make it an exploitative decision if you know a little something about your opponent. So anyway, let's get on to those small bet ace high boards. What are the ace high boards where you want to bet small in, for example, a button versus big blind matchup? 
This is a really easy one to answer. Super disconnected boards. There's a heck of a difference between Ace-8-3 and Ace-8-7 in terms of the combos that your opponent can continue with. So your C-bet success rate is going to be higher on a board like Ace-8-3 compared to a board like Ace-8-7, and therefore you get to bet small and you get to bet much more often. Really easy one to answer if the board is super disconnected or if it's monotone or paired. We tend to favor using a smaller bet size. Yeah, but the big difference between the monotone or paired and like an ace eight three board, I assume, is going to be that the ace eight three you're actually going to bet fairly often, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact frequency. You can probably speak to that, but I mean, ace eight three. There's really not that many hands that can comfortably continue. I mean, no missed hand has overcards on any ace high board. So you know, even like the queen jack suited floats, which I know they're supposed to be calling those and stuff like that with a bunch of backdoors. Sometimes people might not even find those. So if they are overfolding with hands like that a small c-bet's really printing money. So in general, like even if your opponent is continuing properly, say you're playing against a good player or, you know, against the solver, how wide are you going to be going with that small bet size of around 33% pot on ace-8-3, for example? Yeah, so a board like ace-8-3, that's one thing we're, we're going to talk about in just a moment is that people tend to c-bet a little too much on a board like ace-8-3, but Mike, you've absolutely nailed it. If you bet one-third on ace-8-3 rainbow, your opponent is supposed to continue with 10-7 suited, king-4 suited, queen nine suited queen jack off suit all those types of hands so even the really good players the you know the mid stakes players that play online they're going to struggle to continue as much as the solver will because there's going to be a lot of combos that feel really unnatural to check call with on a board like ace eight three so you want to be c betting really wide because one you know it's a really disconnected board it's relatively good for you and two your opponent is not going to float you as much as they should so you absolutely want to be betting here the solver is going to want to bet you know 60 percent of the time 65 percent of the time on a board like this but if you're playing against weaker players or you know, you're playing against passive players, which a lot of us watching this will be, you want to be betting around about 75% of the time. One thing I will say is you don't want to simplify your strategy and just always bet. It is really nice for us to have some checks on a board like Ace-8-3 with a hand like Pocket Kings because your opponent will have an ace sometimes. Or a hand like Ace-Deuce because your opponent will you know, blast a turn sometimes. So it's really important that we're not just simplifying and betting everything. And that is one of the biggest leaks that people have is they want to just keep their strategy too simple. And they want to just bet their entire range in spots that you shouldn't. For the reasons just stated, it is really awesome to have a checking range on a board like Ace-8-3, for example, because if you've got Ace-Douche, you want to allow your opponent to bluff. If you've got Pocket Kings, you know, you're know you dead to two outs. So it's really important that we have some checking range on the boards that we're supposed to, and we don't just simplify and bet everything. Yeah, and it's not only that you know they're going to not call enough, it's also that they're probably not going to check raise enough, right, if you're playing mm-hmm. against one of these mm-hmm. weaker opponents. So not only is your small c-bet going to get through more often than it should, you're also going to see the turn more often than you should, because suppose you bet the flop ace-8-3 with, you know, 10-9 with a backdoor flush draw, right? If your opponent check raises, the solver might actually float that hand, but in any (laughs) case, you know, you, you might fold it. But if your opponent isn't the type of person to check raise often enough, find the sort of unintuitive check raises, then you're going to get to see the turn every single time and you might have a chance at you know turning that flush draw or turning that straight draw or turning a pair that's actually good or at least mm-hmm. has five outs so it kind of is is doubly good to to be betting a little more often than you're supposed to against most people because you're going to see the turn more often and they're going to fold more often than you know would happen if it was a solver playing against a solver so that 60% bet frequency that that Gary was talking about on a board like ace 3 ticks up to like 75-80% again though there are certain hands that really like checking, like the kings, like the ace with a weak kicker. So you sort of build a checking range around those hands and then play turns with those hands. 
there are boards where you can bet your whole range, simplify and bet your whole range. We've talked about them on past podcasts. Our How Often Should You See Bet podcast is really good if you want to kind of learn more about those. But the King 7-2s, the Queen 7-3s, like those boards tend to be ripe for a simplified 100% C-bet strategy. That'll work out just fine. But the ace-high boards, there are just those hands that really like checking, so you build a checking range around those. All right, so my next question for you, Gary, how much does position play a role here? We did talk about this a little bit when I asked you my first question, but does your range or size look much different if you raised from, say, middle position instead of the button and the big blind called? So my sizing scheme is the exact same, 33% on the disconnected board, 50% on the somewhat connected boards. And, you know, as mentioned earlier, you know, MP or under the gun versus big blind on the ace jack X, the ace 10 X, I won't use the overbet size. You know, I won't press my significant nut advantage because that significant nut advantage no longer exists. We have a strong nut advantage, but it's not unbelievably insane i cannot stress to those watching how strong your nut advantage is on ace king six you're just destroying your opponent in terms of nutted combos on ace jack six still doing really well in terms of nutted combos but no longer absolutely destroying your opponent but overall really similar strategies and also important to note that the 33 percent, the 50 percent sizing scheme that actually applies to king high and queen high boards as well the only difference is that we see that a little more as mike has just said on a king high board and a little more on a queen high board for example, MP versus big blinds, just to give you guys an idea of, of some frequencies, on a board like King 8-3, you can just bet your entire range, and that's backed up by the solver. The solver will literally bet you know, 95% plus. But on a board like Ace 8-3, we're supposed to bet 65% of the time. So I, as mentioned, it's really important we do find those, those checks on the boards that we're supposed to. And there's one really big leak that people have when C-betting is that they don't realize that Ace high boards are not really high-frequency C-bets, as we mentioned earlier. When solvers came around, you know, poker got real simple and we just bet our entire range for one third on all ace high boards. You can't do that anymore. It's a somewhat redundant strategy. And if, you know, you look at the more connected boards like ace six, five, ace seven, six, et cetera, your check frequency must go up a little bit more than that. All right. So let's quickly jump over to the big blind side. How are you approaching these spots versus a C-bet, assuming your opponent chooses the proper size given the specific ace high flop? So, you know, all the sizes we've talked about, that ace high board comes and they use the size that, you know, the solver slash we are recommending. How are you approaching your check raising range and your calling range? So as mentioned earlier, you know, the bigger the C bet, the less frequently we raise. And, you know, when, say, for example, you're in the big blind and the button C bets for an over bet on ace king six, you're supposed to raise there 1% of the time. So the bigger the bet that you face, the less frequently you're supposed to raise. Your raising range will generally be the same, um, but it's just the frequency that changes. So if you face a one-third bet, your raising range is very similar to whether you face a 50% bet size or a 75% bet size. The difference is that the bigger the bet, the less frequently you raise. In terms of your raise size, you generally favor using a larger raise size versus all the different types of C-bets, and that's because of how polarized you are. We've done a fantastic episode on check raising from the big blind in the past and the same concepts that we spoke about that day very much apply here. When you're not raising often, your raising range is very easy to work out. It's really centered around equity. So, you know, you've got some straight draws, you've got some flush draws. We have spoken in great depth on this podcast about, you know, using your nut flush draws and your second nut flush draws with the weakest kickers because you want to flush over flush your opponents. It's obviously very profitable to do that. You've got some unnatural bluffs, you know, on a board like Ace-8-3 Rainbow, for example, there are no natural bluffs. You've got, well, you've got some gut shots, like 4-5 and 5-deuce and stuff, but very, very few and far between. And you need to get a little bit funky. You need to choose hands like 9-7, 10-7, 
all those backdoor straight draw, backdoor flush draw combos. And you also really like to choose your bottom pairs with really bad kickers. So on ace-8-3, you can raise a hand like 4-3 suited with a backdoor flush draw, 3-do suited with a backdoor flush draw, all those types of bottom pairs that have got some backdoor equity, and the kicker doesn't block the hand you're trying to make fold or deny equity from. Yeah, and I really want to reiterate that first point that you led with there. When you're up against the big size, when your opponent has polarized their range, you raise quite infrequently against that size. And to kind of put it in in like more human words and not this nerdy poker stuff that we always are saying on this podcast, <laughs> when your opponent bets huge like that, they're saying, I have a very strong hand or I have a bluff. Generally speaking, that means they're often going to do the same thing on the turn. They're going to bomb it with good hands and some bluffs. So why would you check raise with really anything against that size, right? Because if you have a good hand, you are going to face a big bet on the turn quite often. Let them do that. Give them a chance to continue barreling into you, uh, you know, when you're sitting there with with a set or two pair or whatever, whether it's because they have a super strong hand themselves or because they're bluffing, like you want them to continue betting like that. Um, you don't you don't want to sort of break up their flow and and then now they kind of look and be like, oh shoot, he's raising versus my polarized bet. It makes their life pretty easy, honestly. They just get to fold when they had a bluff and they get to call when they had one of those super strong hands, maybe even three bet you and put your life in kind of a tough spot on the flop. So mm-hmm. against those big sizes, you mainly just call. Like Gary said, 1% frequency on the sim he just looked at. I think you could probably see certain sims that have legitimately zero you might see some sims with a little higher than one percent but i think the clear way to go about that is just to simplify to actually zero unless you have some sort of exploitative reason based on the opponent and then when you're facing those smaller sizes it's totally different because they're betting with a more merged range and you can challenge that merged range with a robust check raising strategy so again Gary mentioned our very first episode of this podcast about check raising. Go back and listen to that one. The audio quality is not quite as good. It was our first one, guys. Give us a break. But <laughs> it is a great episode. The content's really good. So, so definitely go check that out. Before we uh, kind of sign off here, I wanted to address a listener or viewer, rather, comment on one of the YouTube videos. So he was commenting on our When to Bet Small podcast, and we had talked about something in that podcast that we talked about in this one and in our previous episode about When to Bet Big. And his comment has to do with the big bet sizing strategy on like the Ace-King-6 boards. What he said is something along the lines of, I took out two pairs and sets from the button's range, and it's still betting big. So he was sort of saying in this hypothetical scenario where, you know, you raise on the button, the big blind calls, and you don't have ace-king or aces or kings in your range or whatever. He noticed that the solver still bet big. So he's kind of saying, is it really nut advantage that is driving our big bet strategy there? Now, this is one of those things, it's kind of esoteric, we're kind of just speculating as to why the solver would do such a thing, and it's a very unrealistic hypothetical scenario where, you know, you're the button raiser and you don't have aces, kings, ace-king in your range. But... What are your what's your take on that that question, uh, Gary? Yeah, it's kind of interesting to to hear that you know if you take away the the, the two pairs and the you know the really nutted hands that the the in position player still wants to bet big from the, the point of view of the solver, and it just kind of goes to show that you know Ace Queen Ace Jack Ace Ten are really really strong hands on a board like Ace King Six, which is why you'll see you know if you bet really big on the flop with a hand like Ace Jack, it actually still continues to bet on the turn, even Ace Ten at some frequency. So the solver still perceives a hand like this to be you know a super nutted hand, and and the the cutoff for what constitutes a you know a really nutted hand in the point of view of the solver will be when it stops 
bombing the turn. So on Ace King six eight, it's still bombing Ace Jack and sometimes bombing Ace ten. It's not doing that with Ace nine. Um, it sort of is telling you that Ace Queen Ace Jack Ace ten are kind of the cutoff as to what the really really strong hands are. So even though the button doesn't have a hand like you know Ace King in this hypothetical scenario from our from our listener. Ace Queen is still a really, really strong hand. Ace Jack is still a really, really strong hand. The solver even perceives Ace Ten to be a really, really strong hand here. So it sort of proves the theory, if you like, that it's the nut advantage that's really driving the the decision for the solver to absolutely bomb it. Yeah, and I think a big part of it too is I didn't see uh our listeners Sim. Uh his name is Poker Giraffe, by the way, so shout out for giving us this good question on YouTube. I would bet a lot that his sim where he ran that without the two pairs and sets the solver still bets big or checks but it does it a lot less often it's going to bet big a lot less often when it doesn't have the two pairs and sets again i didn't see the sim but i would bet a lot that that's the case because our range isn't as strong so yeah really interesting question there i I figured it would be kind of a good thing to to kind of sign off here with is is that interesting hypothetical from uh, our watcher on youtube so thanks again for that Maybe that's an idea for a future podcast episode. Just Q and A from the listeners. What they want to, what they want to ask us, we can, we can, we can answer it. Yeah, keep dropping them in the comments, or uh, you know, tweet them at us. I'm mbradycf on Twitter. Gary is gazzyb1233, and put the hashtag UP Level Up. UP Level Up as an upswing poker level up, um, and we'll definitely see it. We'll we'll definitely mine some of these questions, and I think one day we'll have enough great questions to do a really great Q and A type episode. So good stuff. Thanks again to Poker Giraffe. All right, if you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by liking the video or giving us a nice rating on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening. It really helps us out. Obviously, following and subscribing would be helpful as well, especially if you want to get notified about future episodes. As you'll probably know if you've listened to the previous episodes, there's a new tournament course coming out on Upswing Poker in just a few days. On Monday, Road to Victory, the ultimate tournament course is coming out on Upswing Poker. It's created by Darren Elias and Nick Petrangelo, who have combined for over $40 million in tournament earnings. If you want to learn more about that, head over to upswingpoker.com. You can also save your spot in the course so you get notified when it comes out. We actually have a special episode. Gary's getting a break next week. Darren Elias is joining me just to talk about tournament strategy and to talk about the course a little bit. It's a good one. And, uh, you know, Gary gets a little rest. But don't worry, he is going to be back the very next week and in pretty much every episode in the future. So hopefully y'all tune in for that. And uh, I'll see you next week. Take care.